Lord, who did not give us up, amen? amen. Welcome to uh, our services this morning. We're glad you're here. Thank you for joining us in Northwest Arkansas, where it's springtime every week and winter every weekend. It seems like we're in that time of year right now where, because the weather is changing back and forth so much, a lot of people are uh, experiencing the beginning of their allergies and the end of their winter colds all at the same time. Uh, and that might be a little bit irritating to you if you're going through that right now, so our prayer for you is peace and healing this morning. And maybe there's something else uh, that for you right now in your life that you could think of is an irritating thing, something that you're not looking forward to on Monday morning when you get back to the office, or something that you don't really want to deal with Sunday afternoon when you go home from church. And if you know what that thing is, the irritating thing in your life, something that's a burr under your saddle, as I guess the cowboys used to say, or something that's just really um, bothering you, then maybe a little bit of scripture this morning will help you, uh, will soothe you, will be a balm for you. And I think of this great scripture that maybe is the most famous scripture in the whole world. What do you think it is? Uh, John three sixteen, right? And it goes like this. You've probably heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, isn't that worth praising God for? Amen, church? Amen. Blessed be the Lord who did not give us up. The next verse goes on to say, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I wonder if you feel like you're being saved. I, you may feel like you've been saved. You may know that you've been saved, but I wonder if you feel like you're being saved. You know, the scriptures talk about salvation as being a past, present, and future event. You know this, right? The scriptures talk about salvation as being something that can happen to you, where Jesus has saved you, you're secure, your eternity is secure. The Holy Spirit that you received uh, through your baptism and through faith has sealed you, so you've been marked, uh, maybe branded would be a good word for it, right? And, and you've been marked or sealed with the Holy Spirit, so that means your, your salvation is guaranteed if you hold on to Christ, stay in Christ, don't give up on Him. But yet the Scriptures also talk about how we will be saved someday, because there's a day coming, like Jesus' return, right? The last day. I mean, right now we don't feel fully saved, so we look forward to that full salvation. Resurrection, a new uh, body that's not able to be corrupted anymore. I mean, you're with me here at church, right? Amen? You were saved, amen? But you know that there's more salvation coming, right? And so we know that there's this process of being saved, we will be saved, but also the Scriptures talk about us being saved. Or another word that sometimes gets used uh, in the church is being sanctified, being made more holy. And let me tell you, there is nothing more irritating than being sanctified. There is nothing more frustrating than when God tests you and tries to make you grow up in Jesus, is there? There is nothing that will really, you know, just uh, frustrate you than when God confronts you with how immature you are emotionally and spiritually. And he tells you, I'm going to lead you through something to make you grow up a little. So here's today's lesson. 
Maybe. There we go. This great love of God that he talks about in John 3.16 actually leads us to a point of irritation. God's great love leads you to frustration. And this isn't always an accident. This is something that God does on purpose. Think about a few of the examples that you know. Uh, Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit immediately leads Jesus out into the wilderness, into the desert, where for 40 days he experiences a great amount of frustration. He's tested by the devil multiple times, and he doesn't eat for 40 days. It says at the end of that trial that he was very hungry. Boy, sometimes the Bible can be so oversimplistic, right? He was very hungry at the end of 40 days of fasting. Uh, Israel, also, in some scripture we'll look at today, was led to a point of irritation, was led into the wilderness, was led by God to a place where they experienced frustration. And we experience all kinds of frustration and irritation in our daily lives. You know, last week, when we talked about God's greater love, we talked about what his love means for our past pain, for the baggage that we carry, for the things that happen to us that come up again in life, where from time to time somebody will say a certain word or will be in a situation and it will bring rushing to the surface all of that past anxiety or anger or pain. And today we're thinking a little bit about those moments when right in the present we know God is allowing us to be tested. When, in fact, it may not even feel like it's coming from God. My wife is causing me to be tested. Parents, how many of you have never been tested by your children at home? Maybe you had three or, or four kids all at one time in your home. Maybe it only took one. I don't know. But, you, you know, they were all little. And in that moment, you would have gladly traded Jesus for his 40 days in the desert. You're like, Jesus, here's the deal. You come sit with my three kids for 40 days, and I'll go into the desert. No food, no water, no problem. I'm there. We all experience it, don't we? The Jews were led to a place like this in Exodus 15. And we're skipping ahead a little bit in the story of the Exodus, of this uh, amazing story of God's rescue and deliverance. Where we left Moses and all of the Israelites last week, they were still in slavery. Moses was unsure, he was uncertain of his calling to go to the king, to go to Pharaoh. And God was trying to deal with Moses' past pain and the people's past pain and get them to trust him and understand that his grace was sufficient for them. Well, today we skip ahead a little bit and next week we'll go back to the middle. But today we skip ahead to where God has already delivered them from slavery in fact, if you'd open up in your Bibles to Exodus 15, I want you to look around here uh, in your Bible with me for just a second, because Exodus 15 is a beautiful chapter uh, at the beginning, and then things get a little difficult as you get further on towards the end. In Exodus chapter 15, the people sing what might be the very first worship song uh, that we have recorded in Scripture. I won't read all of it for you this morning, but if you're in your Bible looking at the chapter with me, you'll see in verse 1, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. And look at the first verse. I will sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. 
The horse and the driver he's hurled into the sea. And that's a reference to the army of the Egyptians being drowned in the Red Sea that God had caused to wall up for the Israelites to escape and it came crashing back down on their enemies. So they sing this praise song about God's deliverance. And the song goes on for a good long time down to about verse 18. And then Miriam in verse 21 sings her own little song. So there you've got another praise song. And I'll, re- I'll pick up in verse 21 and, and then we'll skip ahead to what we've got on the screen. So Exodus 15, 21, Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, he's highly exalted, both horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. She picks up on the theme of the song that they were singing. And then verse 22, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, this place of their great deliverance, and they went to the desert of Shur. And for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And then here we find them in Exodus 15, 23, and the people are dealing with being in the desert for a few days without water to drink. Now, a couple of years ago, some of uh, Jenna and, and my good friends, we all went on this hiking trip together, and we went out to the Buffalo River, and I had this brilliant idea, since hiking was new to about half of them, let's go to the most remote part of the Buffalo River and really open them up to the world of hiking, you know. So we go out to this area that's near Tyler's Bend, and there's a section of the Buffalo River Trail that is not well-maintained. And I hiked on it once before with Kirk Harris. I almost drowned in the sea that day. I mean, actually in the Buffalo River, but uh, that's a story for another day. And when Kirk and I had hiked on it, it was a pretty open trail, and I thought this would be a good place to take people. So our friends get together, we get all our gear, and we drive out to this trail. And as we begin to hike... Uh, into the early evening hours and into the dark, I was so confident about our direction and the map that we had and my previous knowledge of the trail that I said, I know a place for us to camp. Let's hike through the dark a little while till we get there. Well, needless to say, we got lost and turned around. And so what begins to happen to people who are uh, at any stage of experience in hiking and outdoorsmanship when they're following somebody who gets lost? Irritation, right? Just a little bit. And then we, then we kind of find our way back to the main trail, but now it's getting really late, and we set up camp because we can't find the nice campsite I had predicted, you know, just a little bit more frustration for everybody. And then we all crawl into our various tents, set up in the woods, very impromptu amongst the sticks, and try not to think about the spiders, and the lights all go out, and then we hear one guy from the other tent kind of cry out, I've got ticks all over me! <laughs> This hike became known as the tick hike amongst our friends because by the time we got home after three days in the wilderness, we were counting tick bites, uh, not in the single digits, not in the double digits, but in the triple digits all over our bodies. On the second day, because we hadn't made it far enough the first night, uh, the second day we used some water for cooking, and midway through the morning we were realizing that this trail that we thought was going to take us to the river was not getting us to the river. We were running out of water. So here's the thing. It doesn't even take 24 hours to lead a group of people into a place where they're out of water, covered in bugs, and ready to change leadership. (laughs) These people have been with Moses for only a few days. But it says when they came to the oasis of Marah, The water was too bitter to drink. And so they called the place Mara, which means bitter. And the people complained and they turned against Moses. 
What are we going to drink, they demanded. And really, this seems pretty reasonable to us. If you were my friends along with me uh, on the tick hike, this would seem a pretty reasonable question to you too. What are we going to drink? Moses, great leader of the Lord, you know, who delivered us from Egypt, do something, provide something for us. And in the middle of demanding what they need or what they want to salve their irritation in this moment, Uh, we realize that they have a legitimate complaint, and yet they can still miss the point. What we're going to find as we look at the journey through the wilderness briefly this morning is that this isn't the last complaint. It won't even be the last time they complain about water. The complaints of the people come up so frequently that you've got to think as you read through the story of Exodus and Numbers that the author of the book is trying to get you to identify with them so that he can turn the story on you and make a point. You see, the author wants you to agree that they have a good complaint because they do. It's frustrating to be without water. But there is more under the surface of what God is trying to accomplish in the people than merely the surface irritation. He's trying to develop in them a couple of competencies, a personal competency. When they can, they can understand what they're feeling and say, this is what I'm irritated about. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I lack. This is what I need. But he's also going to try to develop inside of them a relational competency, an ability to say it in a way that isn't Uh, mutually and cyclically destructive for the community. He's going to try to help them deal with their personal issues in a way that has enough competency that they can deal with their relational issues with their leaders and God in a way that brings life and that renews a thriving relationship instead of tearing it down like so many of us are familiar with. Don't irritations wear on you? The children at home that we mentioned earlier, I mean, you love them. We know that you love those little kids. But at two in the morning, when you go and get that glass of water and you step on a Lego, don't you know that you struggle to deal with the interpersonal competency that you wish you had? So Moses says to the people, uh, to the Lord first and then to the people, Moses cried out to the Lord for help and the Lord showed him this piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. And it was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. So notice, what the author is telling you is that this time the irritation gets solved very quickly. They simply do, uh, you know, this. I don't know that this would work for you, but they take a piece of wood God identifies, they throw it in the water, suddenly the water is good. It's a miracle. But God solves it through a miracle. The way that you often wish he would solve your irritations. God, won't you just fix them miraculously? God, won't you miraculously cause the things that frustrate me in my life to go away or to be healed? But there's a point to this. It says that God set before them the following decree. He wanted to test them. So let's look at what God says. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, And do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer 
any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, I want you to read that last line out loud with me. You ready? I am the Lord who heals you. Let's do it one more time. I want you to hear these words. I am the Lord who heals you. Do you see what God is accomplishing at Mara with the people? What he's attempting to accomplish. What he's attempting to build inside of them. They recognize an irritation. There's a small amount of of personal competency there. They've actually got the ability to say what they're irritated about. So many of us lack even that. We'll be frustrated with our wife. We'll be having this tense evening. Everybody's a little snippy. And she'll say to you, well, you know, what did I do? And, and you realize suddenly, I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't even know if it was you. It might have been that bill that I didn't expect that set me off a little bit. And now I'm just, I'm irritated with everybody. So first of all, it's good that these people recognize we're irritated because we want water. But God says, will you trust me to heal you? Will you trust me to lead you? Will you obey what I say? Because he wants to develop in them further a competency of faith, a relational ability, an ability to say, I'm irritated at the moment. Not everything is as I would have it, but yet I can have peace. I can be calm. I can deal with this because I know the Lord and because I know my leadership. And so in verse 27, after leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elim, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. So God leads them now to water, just like they need it. So God will purposefully lead you to irritation. Now here, this is the part that's going to really get you. God doesn't do, uh, doesn't do that and just stop there. God is going to magnify your irritation. God's love, because he loves you with that great love, that John 3.16 love, because he loved the world so much that he wants you to bring you to a saving faith in Jesus, he is going to magnify your irritation. He is going to lead you through increasing times of stress. Because it's not enough for us to simply face this one test of the water at Mara and then just believe that God's going to solve everything through miracles for the rest of our life. That's not the way that life works. He is growing you and maturing you in Christ, which means maturing your competencies. Look at how many times the Israelites face some irritations during their wandering that they cry out about. Now, this, these seven on the screen don't even include the times that the Israelites complained against the leadership. There was other times where they rejected Moses, and they were about ready to, to throw a little revolt and get rid of Moses and Aaron. But these are times that related basically to practical needs, to basic needs, to things that would cause irritation to any of us. We just read about the bitter water. And if we were to read from the next chapter, immediately after the story of the bitter water, we would find them complaining about hunger. And again, we kind of identify with that because don't you get hangry sometimes? I mean, be honest now. Who in here will admit that they sometimes get a little hungry, angry, hangry, and who of you are liars, right? Because everybody does. All of us get to a point where we're frustrated with the boss or the client at the end of the day, and what we really need to do is ask ourselves in front of God in our prayer, wait a second, are they that terrible? 
Or am I missing something that I'm feeling? You know, I didn't eat lunch. Maybe it's not that that guy is so rude. It's that this guy needs a sandwich. But until we develop some competencies to deal with these things and to notice them, we'll simply complain like the Israelites. Again, in chapter 17, right away, thirst comes up again. And as you can see in the book of Numbers, several of these same themes get repeated. And what happens in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books that the Jews called the law or the Pentateuch or the Torah, that there is some bookending that's going on here where the people experience these frustrations before they get to Mount Sinai. And they experience some of these frustrations after Mount Sinai. In fact, if you wanted to be particular, you could even break it down into a third section. Because between Numbers 11 and Numbers 20, there are 40 years of wilderness wandering going on. So you've actually got a whole other generation that experienced these irritations and frustrations. But this is essentially to help you realize, if you're paying attention as you read the Torah, that before they come to the mountain of God, before they receive the law where God meets with them at Sinai in a cloud of fire on the mountain, this holy moment when the people can't even touch the base of the mountain so that they're not struck down and killed because of God's holy presence that's there. And the animals aren't allowed on the mountain. And then God gives them his instructions for living. You remember how he said, I'm going to test you and see if you'll obey my instructions. Well, he gives them a lot of those at Sinai. And they leave Sinai like they left Egypt in chapter 15 of Exodus. By the time they've spent a whole year there, and the rest of the book of Exodus has passed, and Leviticus has passed, and the first ten chapters of Numbers has passed, one year has expired, and the people leave Sinai triumphant with God. They've now got a tabernacle. It is gorgeous. It is one of the most rich and uh, just, just crazy, wealthy buildings that's ever been built. Based on the square footage, I heard somebody say the other day that the square footage price of the tabernacle was somewhere in the millions of dollars based on today's value. You know what the square footage of a house in Bella Vista is? Like 90 to 100 bucks, right? So you've got this, this elaborate building. They've got the people all arrayed in camps. They're, they're, they're organized. They've got the laws to live by. They've got sacrifices so that they know that they can go into God's presence. They know that they're okay with God. They've got this whole system of worship set up. And just like they had left Egypt, they leave Sinai triumphant and wealthy and ready to go. And as soon as they leave the mountain, three days from the mountain, just like they were three days from Egypt, there's some kind of unnamed trouble in chapter 11. That they complain about that God sends some fire through the camp and a whole bunch of the people are killed by the fire. And right on the heels of that, they complain again about their diet. The people are struggling to deal with even a brief moment or two, a day or two of irritation. All of God's great deliverance in their life is being turned upside down on its head by regular daily life. Now tell me, Christians, have you not ever been in the same shoes as them? Have you never been in the place where God's deliverance seems so grand on Sunday and the frustrations of life take over and move him off his throne on Monday? 
Have you never been in the place where at, at your baptism, at a great revival, at a youth rally, you felt the presence of God and you think to yourself, I will never be the same again. And then like the Jews in Numbers 11, only a few minutes of irritation and you're back here. The rabble were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. Look at the words that they use. The people of Israel began to complain also. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Uh, guys, what are you forgetting about Egypt, right? Look at the rest of it. This must be like the best of the best food to Israelites at that time. And we had all the cucumbers and melons, leeks, onions, and garlics that we wanted. Yum, right? But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Moses heard all of the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. Do you see what's happening now? Because of the lack of competency that the people have dealing with their irritation, it's spreading. Now the leaders are aggravated. Now God himself is experiencing frustration with the people and their attitude. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? <laughs> this is like the moment the mom says, You know, you gave me these kids, you deal with them. Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Yeah, maybe this is like the father speaking, huh? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give to their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep on whining to me, saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Moses, mailing it in, isn't he? I can't deal with the people anymore. He's hit his limit. Moses is feeling like his whole body has rolled through poison ivy, right? I can't stand them. And so God says to Moses, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go find 70 leaders from the people, 70 elders, and bring them around the tent of meeting. And when you bring them close, I'm going to do something uh, amazing. I'm going to take some of the spirit I've put on you, and I'm going to put it on these other 70 leaders so that you don't have to bear the burdens alone, so that you don't have to do all of the leading by yourself. Now you're going to experience some teamwork and community instead of just dealing with the frustration in isolation. You, Moses, are going to learn interpersonal leadership skills and Moses brings the leaders around and they stand around the tent of meeting and just like God says the spirit of God some of it moves off of Moses and onto these leaders but there was two men all the way back in the camp who hadn't come to the tent and they begin to prophesy in the camp where all the people see them one young man thinks this just doesn't seem right so he runs to Moses to say we've got guys preaching in the camp maybe he thinks it's another revolt they're going to kick out Moses and Moses says this about the men prophesying can you go to the next slide for me please Moses replied are you jealous for my sake I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all you see the heart of Moses' leadership. 
I wish that God would give every one of you the ability to deal with these irritations. I wish that God would pour out on everybody a little bit of the insight into where he's leading them. I wish that all of God's people could be prophets and have the Holy Spirit then this is an obvious hyperlink to anybody who knows and reads the prophets because the prophet Joel picked up on this in Joel 2, 28 when he promised that someday God would do just this, what Moses had wished for. He says, after doing all these things, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And again, If you're familiar at all with the story of Scripture, this might, for you, hyperlink to Acts 2, where Peter preaches the first New Testament sermon, this gospel sermon about Jesus Christ, and he says, just as Joel had said, now the Spirit of God is being poured out on everyone so that sons and daughters, male and female servants of God, can all experience the presence of God of the Holy Spirit. No longer will it be just the one guy with the Spirit of God on him leading him, but all of the people have the ability to have the Spirit to deal with their personal and relational problems. Now, is that good news? And so this is the way that God begins to show us that his love will actually heal our irritations. No, he doesn't remove all of them from you. God does not set up life in a way where you will never again walk through the living room at two in the morning and step on some toy. God never sets it up to where you and your spouse won't quarrel anymore, where the boss won't do something that's just really stupid. That's not the way life works. You will be irritated and it might be God's plan, but he will heal you if you would accept this presence of his spirit. If you'd pay a little bit of attention God, why am I feeling this way? I, need, I, I have a need that needs to be met, but I want to be patient in it with you. I don't want to wreck the thing I've got with the people around me because of the thing that's not being met inside at the moment. In Numbers 21, right near the end of the 40 years of the wilderness wanderings, the people again rose up and complained and revolt against Moses and God. This is the next generation. The irritations just continue, don't they? And they began to speak against God and Moses. And they say again, 40 years later, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complain, there's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. And so the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. These Old Testament stories where there's punishment of fire or snakes that bite the people probably seem really, really strange to you. But you've got relationships right now that are dying of poison in the veins of the relationship because of the frustration and the irritation that's been building for so long that you and that person can't trust each other anymore. Love seems to be fading, and it's, it's like you were snake bit. Go ahead. Then the people came to Moses, and they cried out, We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord told him, (laughs) this is so strange, then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. And so Moses makes this snake, and he puts it up on this pole, and the people, if they look at it after they're bit, the poison goes away. 
Now, what is going on? Well, one thing is that they're being forced to recognize that they are complicit in this poison that's in the community. They've got to look to the snake and remember, that's our punishment for the way we were acting. That's what happens when we allow poison to develop between us and our leaders, between us and our family and our friends. When we allow that to happen emotionally and spiritually, this is the consequence. It's death. It's a snake bite. And then anyone who was bitten by the snake could look at it and they'd be healed. And so, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, go ahead, right before this great promise that God so loved the world, right before this moment when Jesus says to Nicodemus that Jesus came in the world not to condemn it, but to save it, to heal us of our irritation, of our poison, of our frustration, we read this. Jesus said to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Do you see it, church? He says in your moments of greatest frustration, would you look to me? Would you think about me? Would you remember what I've suffered for your sake? The irritation and the frustration and the pain I went through for you. Would you remember number uh, Exodus 15 and what God said about frustrating moments? That this is a test. It's an opportunity for you to see that you can trust the Lord. Would you look to him on the cross and believe? Would you experience that your irritation can, can go down? It won't always go away forever, but it can be lessened. The poison can get out of your veins as you look to Christ and you see him. And do you remember, church, that in the garden there was another snake and a prophecy that said from this man and this woman there would come a child, a seed, and that the snake would strike him in the heel and would strike him down with its poison, but that he would crush its head. And do you understand that the snake means that Jesus soaked up the poison for us? All of that irritation and frustration he took into his body on the cross. You see, the snake has bitten every one of us. We all get it. And Jesus is the seed bitten on the heel for our sake, but he crushed the snake, and in so doing, he ended the venom and irritation for all who believe in him and who look to him for healing. Would you look to him, church? Today, as we offer a a song of invitation, as we usually do, we know that some of you might want to simply pray on your own and have a few moments as you sing and as you pray in your heart and in your soul to think about the things that are going on in your life that God wants to drain out, the bitterness that he wants to drain out, the way that he's calling you to look to Jesus, to grow in your skills, to grow in your interpersonal relations, to be able to say, I am feeling so irritated about this, but God Just help me to bear the burden. Be with me. Look to Christ. And if you want to pray with people instead of on your own, we'll have elders at the front and at the back who are waiting to pray with you. They don't want you to go this alone. They want to bear it with you. Like the elders that supported Moses in Israel, God has set up in his church today that there should be a plurality of leadership that we have several elders, that we have ministers in the church, that we have those appointed as deacons, that we have mentors and friends so that you don't have to carry it alone. So would you pray with someone? Would you share with someone as we stand and sing this song of invitation?